Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Balah in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Anthony and Lisa. Good morning and welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square. We are in the middle of a series on the life of David looking at his life as we look at our own lives. And we're doing that to try to understand what does it mean then to be human together. Today, David runs into the Ark of the Lord. And this Ark is no magic box. It's no just religious device. Biblically, the Ark of the Covenant was the means to know what God is like. David doesn't seem to first understand that. He's actually a lot like most Americans. He wants the blessing of God. He doesn't want the blesser. He wants the blessing of God. He doesn't actually want God. What we do want, we want it my way, on my terms, on my schedule, the blessing. 
And now if you're religious, what the way this works itself out is the more rigorous you are in prayer, the, the more fervent you are, the more you care, the more you deserve God's favor. And therefore, the more favor you have, the more he has to bless us. See, that's what David is doing in the ark. He's treating it the way we treat God. And if you think that's what Christianity is about, if you think it's about trying hard and being good and then God's going to bless you, the truth is you've actually never heard Christianity, potentially in your life. And so let's find out what it's really about. Three things we're going to see here from the text. The problem of the ark, the problem with us, and the problem solved. Problem of the ark, the problem with us, and then the problem solved. So first, the problem with the ark. What is the Ark of the Covenant? As uh, an American at over 40 years old, I might have assumed that you've seen the movie Indiana Jones and, uh, you know, I guess it's the Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I'm not going to assume that. Uh, The Ark is described in the Bible as uh, a wooden box. It's overlaid with with gold. It was about two and a half feet wide. It was about uh, four feet long. And it was about two and a half feet tall. And it says here that there was two cherubim on the top of it. And on the side of it, there were these gold rings where poles were to be inserted and put through them to carry the ark. So you didn't actually touch the ark. The poles went through the rings and you carried them. And this is important to note because in ancient times, the only person who ever was carried anywhere was the king. Right? The royalty. But what's interesting is that for Israel, David was actually never carried anywhere. And the reason for that was because the ark was meant to show us where the real royalty lied. It wasn't in the earthly kingship of David. It was in the heavenly kingship of God. The ark, whenever it was moved, it was supposed to be carried. It resided in the tabernacle and then eventually uh, in the temple And when it was in the tabernacle and the temple, it was in the the room called the Holy of Holies. It was the innermost chamber. And in that place, it, it was the only object in that chamber. And the only person who could ever come near that object in that chamber was the high priest. And he could only do that once a year on Yom Kippur to make a sacrifice on behalf of the people for their sins. And he couldn't approach it for any other reason, for any other time, no exceptions. And so here's what you say, okay, what's the problem with the ark? Remember, the ark was not just a, a religious object. This was the means of knowing God. It represented the footstool of God. God did not reside in it. It was not a chair, right? Because if, it, if he did, then God could be contained in the temple. However, It's just the footstool. Therefore, it's just the mere edge of his presence. That means God extended out from the cosmos. His kingdom has no end. And the ark was then therefore just this tiniest reflection of his presence. The entire heavens can't contain him. God is king over all things. He is king over all kings. And the ark, therefore, is just the place where his glory is being made manifest. So the problem is this. If this is where God shows up, if this is the only place and the only person who can only visit it once a year, 
and could only get in, into God's presence then, how do you actually get before God? Right? The ark, therefore, is less an ac- a place of access and more a symbol for everybody that you can't access this king. You can't just walk into his presence. When I was a college minister uh, here in the city, I used to sometimes, to help illustrate, I'd take out a piece of paper and I would draw on the piece of paper a, um, a circle. And I would say to my students, I said, let's say this circle represents all possible human knowledge. All, anything that's knowable in the world. And then I would give them a pen and I would say, okay, your turn. Now draw your circle in this circle of how much of all ultimate human knowledge you have in you. Right? Show me, show me their knowledge. How much could they possibly know? And depending on how they saw themselves, they'd either draw, draw a big circle in there or a you know, very small circle or a speck. But they always never drew the exact same circle. They, they, they all knew they didn't have all possible knowledge. And then I would tell them, I proceed to say, is it possible then some of the answers that you might want about God and some of the reasons why we can't fully relate to him are because those answers are found in the areas that we're not actually in. And we had to realize that, yeah, sure. But that means there's so much then we have to acknowledge that we don't know in the world. How do we talk to a king that you can't access? How do you relate to the unrelatable? How can the finite interact with the infinite. That's the problem. Famous 19th century uh, sociologist Emile Durkheim once said this. He said, all societies, all civilizations always hold together. The fabric of the culture is held together by a sense of the sacred. And every culture has that sense. There's something in life that you hold as sacred. And whatever that is called sacred, sacred, the sacred is defined as something that has to be honored in that culture. It can't be rejected. It demands attention. Now, generally speaking, in most cultures, this thing is supernatural. Now, I think that what, just a side point, the great experiment right now that we're in as a culture right now is that this is the first time ever in history where we're trying to make sacred the self which is actually a very natural thing. It's not supernatural, very natural, and it's actually not going so well. Researchers have noted the suicide rate has skyrocketed the past few decades, and it's correlated with the general health of the social fabric of our culture. Why? Because unless you have the sacred, you don't have meaning. You don't have community. You don't have purpose. You don't have, you, you don't have shared moral values, which that, that, because of that, it's led to the friction and the tension and the societal disintegration that we're literally watching around us. Now, the trouble is we want the sacred in our life, but if it's beyond us and beyond our life and beyond the self, then whatever that is, it's so big, it demands that we live and die for it. It gives us meaning, sure, and it brings us together, sure, but you can't get near the sacred because it's at that moment that you realize when you come in contact with the sacred that you fall short. And I think the ark is a perfect example of this. Its existence screams that there's a God and you're not him. Moses, years before the ark, uh, he wanted to be with God. He demanded it. 
because he realized that the things he was looking for in life ultimately found their meaning in him. But when he asked to see God's face, to be in his presence, he couldn't or he would die. Now, some of you sitting here might be saying, well, I don't really believe in God or I don't believe in God like that. I don't need meaning like, you know, you know, in my life. But that doesn't mean that you can live without the sacred. Put it this way. Have you ever come into the presence of excellence? Maybe you got to meet your, your hero or a famous actor, somebody you highly respect. What happens when you get close to somebody like that? What happens usually is there's a loss of words. You can, you can Google this or you can see it. But watch fanboys or fangirls. Um, when they come in the presence of their hero or an actor or actress they love, they regress. They become speech- speechless, bumbling fools. Because all you've ever wanted is to get in the presence of this greatness. And now when you're finally there, you can't make a connection. You can't connect. it. You, you, you literally lose yourself. Whether you're religious or not religious today, the problem of the ark is a universal problem. You can't live without God, but you can't live with him. You can't live without him or, or acting like something else is God in your life, but you can't also live with him. So that's the problem with the ark. Okay, but what's the problem with us? At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. Looking over uh, the text again, go back to it. In the very beginning, we see that there was 30,000 people dancing with David in verse 1. They're worshiping. They're celebrating. They're having the biggest party of, uh, you know, of their civilization with music and noisemakers. A lot's going on. And it looks good on the surface to them. And yet you can almost see how the author is trying to show us that all is not well here. First in verse 3, it says that the ark was on a cart. And then it says Uzzah and Ehu were guiding the cart. And usually as modern people would just glance right over that, assuming that everybody's just dancing and worshiping God. And what's wrong with that? They're singing and praising God in, their, in the ways that they know how. Good for them. What more does God want? Problem number one. There are specific rules about how the ark was to be transported, as we already talked about. Remember, it had rings on it. It was supposed to be carried with poles. It was supposed to be royalty, and yet it was on a cart, like cargo, like you might transport cattle. Two, only Levite priests were supposed to transport the ark. Uzzah and Ehu, they were not Levites. In other words, they were praising God, but they weren't praising him the way he should be praised. Elizabeth Elliot, famous missionary, uh, once told a story that I heard growing up. It was used on me when I was a kid. And it was about her little brother and her when they were children. They had a rule in, in their house um, 
where you can take out anything and play with anything, but she had to put it away. Now, her brother, who actually uh, just died recently, um, but when her brother, when uh, he was little, he was playing with some toys and maybe paper bags, and um, he was supposed to put it away, but he didn't. Uh, and what happened was his mom came home, and as soon as his mom came home, he, he just got up and sprinted uh, to his, his bedroom and started playing hymns on the piano. Apparently, he knew how to play the piano. And when his mother came in and the mom said, what's going on here? He said, he's there just going like this. Mommy, I'm singing and praising Jesus. I'm singing to the Lord. <laughs> it's a really funny thought as this, this, this little boy is doing that. And she looked at him and she said, Jesus doesn't want your praises you're not going to give your obedience, right? It's the, and it's the same here. If worship is giving all that you are to all that God is, and right here, they might have been giving all that they were, but they were not giving all to who God was. And I think we think, well, you know, what gives? I'm praising God. But you can't if you're not obeying Him. Because then, they, because when you're not obeying Him, you're not giving all that to all that He is, Put it this way, if your friend's allergic to shellfish, to honor them, you don't take them to a seafood restaurant, right? The honoring is canceled by the action. God is allergic to sin. Sin is making anything more important than him, and that's exactly what they were doing. Same thing, you turn to uh, Isaiah 58 sometime. Same thing happens there. It says there, the people say to God, why have, you know, you know sorry, God says, why have we, sorry, they say, why have we fasted in and you see it not, Lord. We fasted. You, you, how come you don't see it? And God answers, Behold, when you fast, you have oppressed your workers. You say, well, how are those things related? In other words, it's no use fasting and being religious and praising God if you aren't being generous, if you're hurting others, if you don't care about the poor, if you don't care about justice, if you don't care about the world. Like, how can you continue going on spending your... You know, spending your money for, you know, when, you, when you're not being forgiving. Sorry, how, how can you go on praising God if you're just spending your money and not being forgiving, not being sexually pure? You can't. You can't acknowledge God with your mouth and then deny Him with your actions. But how many of us are doing just that today? Is it any wonder that the biggest turnoff to Christianity are Christians? I mean, let that sink in for a second. We say, I need the Lord in one breath, and almost in the next breath we say, I need money, sex, and power, and friends. I need God. Money, sex, power, friends. David is doing the exact same thing. I'm dancing to the Lord. Look, Lord, I'm loving the Lord. But then, I'm not going to acknowledge you as king over all. I'm singing to the Lord. I'm playing the piano to your Lord. I'm just not going to follow your commandments. I go to church, Lord. Look, I'm listening to the pastor right now. I'm just not going to allow the truths of who you are to affect my whole life. I'm not going to let you direct my time, my talents, and my treasures. See, that's what David is doing, but that's exactly what we are doing, and that's the problem with us. Okay, last point then. How will the problem ever be solved? So you go back to Uzzah. What happens with Uzzah? Well, the oxen stumble. 
the ark was about to fall. And Uzzah does the most natural thing in the world. He reaches his hand out so the ark would not fall. And it says the Lord, very, the writer is very particular, the Lord struck Uzzah and instantly he died. So imagine the scene. Party everywhere, dancing and singing. Boom! Uzzah's dead. Everyone would have stopped. Everybody who was singing praises would have just stopped and said, wait, he was doing the Lord's work. He was trying to help. And now he's dead. What the heck? I've had college students like, literally pull up this passage, point to it, put their finger on it and say, this is why I can't believe in the biblical God. This is what's progressive. Right? How can you believe in a God who kills well-meaning people? You're like, well, you know, I, you know, I, you can see, you probably already know what, what I'm going to try to say. Well, well, you can't touch the ark. You know, that's what happens when you get close to God. But he was trying to help. He would push back. He would say his heart was good. God kills him because he broke a, a rule. But I don't want to believe in a God like that. And by the way, some people do preach this text like that. Don't break the rules or God's going to get you. There are people who do that. But, the, but let's, can we just do something for a moment? Can we zoom out? We've already um, went over the rules. Rules and laws are there for guidance. Because they tell us about who God really is. But again, I think we might be missing the point if we only focus on the rules right now. Everybody at the party was actually breaking the rules before even Uzzah stuck out his hand. When the ark was on the cart, when they were walking it without the Levites, everybody should have died already. Everybody was complicit in this. And so in some ways, we should be wondering, wait a second, why does God take the moment to strike down Uzzah now? Why didn't he kill, you know, there's so many other rules out there that God does nothing about when we break them. So it isn't so much that God kills Uzzah, why doesn't he end everybody else too? It's probably a question we don't ask enough. And the answer is, it's not about the rules. It's what the rules point to. The, the rules, the ark, the commandments, the entire sacrificial system, everything in the Old Testament is saying, by God, there is a giant pictorial representation trying to get across to us that sin is real, it's in you, and it's keeping you from me. That's what the Bible is trying to tell us. There is something called sin, and it's in you, and it's keeping you from me. Now, sin I have, to, I have to define this. It's not just doing bad things. It can actually be good things. In our text, these people are praising God. And it's actually sinful because it's, it wasn't about the praising. It was about the heart that was behind it. They cared more about the blessing of the ark and what was coming to them than the blesser. And sure, they were praising God, but they, they didn't know what they were praising. You can help somebody in need. And I brought this illustration up before. But if your heart of hearts deep down says, yeah, I'm the kind of person who helps the people in need, what you've just done there is you've elevated yourself and weaponized your good actions in your heart out in the world to define yourself, to vindicate yourself, to validate yourself. And that's therefore still sin, even though you've helped somebody. Every single day we are moving out in life, not Towards others as we should. Every single day we're moving out in life centered on ourselves. 
and not on him. That's sin. And so Uzzah, and frankly David, who put Uzzah in charge, when he put out his hand, that instinct that he could touch the ark, that same instinct is in all of us, which is this. My issues, my sin, my problems, whatever they are, really aren't that bad. So reaching out his hand, Uzzah made the split-second decision in the moment that he thought, I could offer something to God. I can fix this card. I can make sure the ark doesn't fall. And the deepest irony was that Uzzah didn't want the ark to hit the dirt. But he was making a huge assumption. In that moment, he was assuming the dirt was dirtier than his hand. That's not understanding sin. He thought the soil would soil the ark more than his hand. Little did he realize that we... Right, little, sorry, little did he realize that the earth itself never actually turned away from God the way that we did. Do the trees daily say, I can live without him the way that we do? Does the ground live in open rebellion, saying, I'm going to live for me, not for thee? See, Moses said, let me see your glory. And God said, it will kill you. And Uzzah said, with his hand, when he came close to his, that glory, It did kill him because he thought, and we still think, the soil is more dirty than I. And that just isn't true. Before we move on, where are you thinking that you can touch the ark? Where are you saying, I'm not that bad? I might have soiled, but I'm not that soily. I might be dirty, but I'm not that dirty. It's in those thoughts that you're doing violence to yourself, to your understanding with God, and actually even relating to others because it's going to put up a divide and it has put up a divide between you and him and each other. And you can boil down the root of the aggressions and the hurt and the violence and the brokenness into that assumption that we have. So go back to the text. When David is angry in verse 8, all the commentaries point this out. He's not mad at God right now. He's mad at himself. He's saying, because look at the follow-up phrase, how can I ever relate to God? How, you know, I can't live with him, but I can't live without him. That's verse 9. How can the ark ever come to me? How can we ever be near it? And what they do is they leave the ark with Obed-Edom. It's actually a pretty amazing, I think, humorous scene. Uzzah's dead, right? They're like, we can't get near this thing. Let's leave it with that guy over there. And they run. And so you can see that, you know, you can someone see them like, hey, we're going to leave this here. And, and us are kind of going, oh, okay, well, uh, we out. And they just run. It says the ark stayed with Obed-Edom for three months. And you can imagine that first night, right? The ark's in their house. They knew it just killed somebody. And Obed-Edom is like, uh, what am I going to do with this thing? And to everybody's great surprise, the Lord blesses Obed-Edom. And you say, why does that matter? It matters because he was a Gittite. He wasn't an Israelite. He was a Gentile. And yet God blessed him. It was by grace alone all along. Now, you know, you know Obed-Edom, he wasn't following the Israelite rules whatever, to, to, about the ark. It wasn't in some holy of holy places. 
It might have been in, who knows where it was? It was on his property. But he was still blessed by the grace of God. And it was only then that David go back and get the ark. And because he did, it changed everything. Because look, if you go to verse 13, they're now singing praises again. But guess what they're doing now? They're carrying the ark. They're actually obeying for the first time. And they take six steps and they made a sacrifice. Why does that matter? Because they finally realized it's all by grace. And so somebody had to die so that they could live. The first journey started out with life and it ended in death. And so the second time, it starts with death because it's through the sacrifice they know that they could even come close to God and end in life. They're finally understanding the nature and character of God that it's always been grace. It's always going to be through the sacrifice of another that we could ever get access to God. And that's why they could finally rejoice But this is a different type of rejoicing. The first one was rejoicing in the blessings that came. And that's still about me. But isn't it time now, folks? Let's stop rejoicing in the blessing. Let's start rejoicing in the blesser, in his presence. Somehow David could rejoice because he knew intellectually somehow that it would be through a sacrifice that he could have access. He knew he couldn't approach God on his own. It was by grace, and that's what allowed him to rejoice. But today, right now, in this very moment, we actually know what this sacrifice back then pointed to. The need for the true sacrifice, the need for Jesus. Jesus actually took the death that contact between the human and divine creates. The blood that was sprinkled on the mercy seat on Yom Kippur, that the ark pointed to the blood that was going to be shed for the ultimate mercy seat. Our hearts can now rejoice. We can now tell others and bring joy to this city because of what he did. He's brought us into access. If the ark was a giant representation that you can't get there, Jesus, as the perfect lamb, as the, as the, as the perfect sacrifice that allows us to now gain entry into the Holy of Holies. So our 90 for 90 initiative that we just launched last Sunday... And we have so many people have already signed up. It's, this is an easy way now to live out joy in the city. Right? It's not too late. You can still sign up. What we're doing is we're praying for others, not because we have to, but because we want to. And as we're dancing and in wonderment and in awe of the blesser and not just the blessing, it will naturally spur us out to say, I want others to know this. I want to pray. And, and even if I'm too weak to know what to say, I'm going to start praying for them. And we, our hearts can be filled for them. Because now we dance before the, Lord, before the Lord like David with wonder, enjoying the mystery of his grace. Yes, you don't deserve. Yes, you fail in your own right. But Jesus took that judgment. And so now you can touch that ark and not worry about being struck down anymore. Heck, you know why you can close your eyes right now? Look, look, look I'm closing my eyes. And you can have access right now. You didn't used to have that. Why can't we? It's so easy. You say, well, that's too easy. Well, no, it was costly because of Jesus. That you can talk to your father right now and come into his presence, sit with him and know that you're welcome and he wants to be with you and you can be with him. Don't just have a superficial joy. Dancing an amped up life like earlier in the chapter where you're being emotional without being relational. No, sit in his presence and have this deep joy wash over you and 
you will wake up and say, now how can I be generous with the generosity that's been given to me? You'll wake up and say, now that I've been blessed, how can I be a blesser? Because the ultimate blesser has made me a blessing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is a confusing passage when we first see it. And as we, we zoom out and zoom out more, we realize, oh my goodness, we have done the very same thing. We've made the same assumptions. It's a wonder. It's a wonder, Father, that we have the access that we have to you. Let our hearts melt. There's so many concerns and cares and brokenness, Father, and we can't even begin to know how to tackle those issues unless we sit with this one. Our biggest problem, Father, is a lack of knowledge of our own sin that is causing so much of the pain and brokenness in the first place. Turn our hearts and minds towards you and all that we do. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.